podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, wherein we talk about what we can draw from the cult RPG for our Invisible Sun games. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we discuss what we can draw from other games for our Invisible Sun sessions. With this casting, we will discuss the recently released, or at least recently updated, Cult RPG. Uh, this is a, an RPG, a Cult RPG. Started, it's spelled with a K, K-U-L-T. Uh, there's a new version of the game, but it is an updated version of an older RPG. The original uh, uh, version of Cult was a Swedish RPG from 1991. Cool. Its uh, first English edition was in 1993. <clears throat> I believe there was a second edition that came out later, but I want to focus mostly on the now current edition that came out over the last year or so uh, after a Kickstarter campaign. Yeah, I was going to ask. It yeah, sounds like uh, a Kickstarter project. It is, it is very much a Kickstarter project. The game itself is based in a contemporary setting. So in the early 90s, that was contemporary to the early 90s, uh, they've mm-hmm. updated in this new game uh, a, a uh, the setting to a now contemporary setting. And it's a game that's often described as Gnostic horror with strong surreal elements. But I'll describe a little bit of what that means when I talk about its similarities to Invisible Sun. Yeah. What is Gnosticism? <laughs> uh, I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> But first, it's it's definitely a horror game, and so it's different from Invisible Sun in that regard, where the theme is emphatically on the horror. Uh, but it has the, the Gnosticism and the surreal elements overlap a lot with Invisible Sun. So Gnosticism can mean many different things, um, and I'm by no means an expert on Gnostic religion and the like. Um, the root of it is kind of fun and interesting for our purposes is Gnosis, which is usually some form of hidden knowledge. Okay. So one one of the reasons why Gnosticism can mean so many different things is it's a reference to esoteric religions, usually heretical Christian sects, that are based upon some notion that there's knowledge that is held from most people, but that the insiders know the truth of what's really going on. Uh-huh. I was going to say, that reminds me of one of the orders, but I guess we're not talking about that. <laughs> Um, oh, it'll remind, there, there's other elements that will definitely remind you of oh, yeah. Invisible Sun, like name checking specific things, uh, because Gnos- elements of Gnosticism are, were built into the foundations of mm-hmm. Invisible Sun as references, whereas cult is based upon a very specific form of Gnosticism and is trying to some extent trying to represent that Gnosticism, whereas Invisible Sun has a very eclectic, uh, occult feel where it's drawing from occult uh, references from all different types of approaches. Mm-hmm. But uh, the part of the, the, the difficulty understanding what Gnosticism means is just that it means hidden knowledge. Um, so uh, <laughs> the nature of that knowledge can be, can vary widely along these different, these different groups. 
Uh, but the game cult is based on a very particular type of Gnostic belief, um, which is again kind of sewn into the uh, the the infrastructure of Invisible Sun in ways that'll be obvious. It's based upon the, a particular belief that the contrasting creation stories in the book of Genesis can be explained by the notion that there was an initial creation and then a second creation. Rather than two stories of creation, there's actually two creations. What are the contrasting stories? Well, if you look back to, to Genesis, there's one sort of vague story of creation um, and then one Is much that the more. Sp- God created everything in six days, and then rested. Yeah, and th- which is separate from a, a a more detailed creation story that involves. Which I'm not Al- familiar with. Yeah, which well, it involves Adam and Eve and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, okay, all right. And there are so- there's some questions as to how consistent those are. There is a group. This goes back more than a thousand years who argued that these are actually inconsistent stories because the, they're not describing the same creation. They're stri- describing two acts of creation. One of which the first creation, if I, I'm getting this right again, there's not an expert and I'm basing, basing this on recollections from a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it works well for the story. Um, my understanding is that the first creation is the creation of the kind of good God. Um, that is the, the positive influence the universe, beneficent um, uh, force of creation. However, the second creation was sort of a hijacking of the first creation by a more malicious entity called the Demiurge. Mm-hmm. And the Demiurge created the world we sense around us. So okay. our world is an illusion created by the Demiurge as a sort of prison of sorts that we are all occupying. This will sound very similar to Invisible Sun, where the gray is a false world of our senses that is just a part of a much broader creation, but that it is, uh, but we are trapped here and limited by our imaginations and our senses. In an Invisible Sun, literally, I believe the missing warden of the gray sun is called the Demiurge. Yeah, there is reference to Demiurge over there. Yeah, so that and that reference in Invisible Sun is directly a reference to the same source material from which cult draws. I I don't think it's a reference to cult. I think it's a reference to the same Gnostic tradition from sure. which cult draws. Uh, and it's also similar uh, between these two games is the notion mm-hmm. that in cult, the Demiurge is missing. So the creator of the false prison is missing and the prison is breaking down. So in cult uh, characters slowly come to realize that their world is a lie that most people see challenging this lie as evidence of madness, Mm -hmm. but magic is sort of real and that there are powerful entities that are seeking to maintain the illusion um, of this false world. Uh, So would magic be evidence of this illusion? Magic would be evidence that what we think of as the laws of physics are an illusion. Okay. Uh, you know, magic are ways of breaking the laws that we think govern mm-hmm. our world. And so all of this magic would just be evidence that those laws aren't really laws at all. They're just suggestions that are binding when we believe that they are laws. Okay. Makes sense. However, most people who are not key are not keyed into this gnosis, this, this hidden knowledge really believe the laws of physics are laws and that magic is a lie 
And that if you talk about magic and you talk about breaking the laws of physics, you must be insane. So the characters in cult are slowly coming to the realization the world is much bigger than they thought it was, that magic is real. But they also have to contend with all of the social institutions that exist to teach us that magic is not real and that to believe magic is real or to act as if magic is real is evidence of mental imbalance. And so you are, you know, people could just declare you insane. They could, you know, they're, they're going to oppose you because they think you are a danger to yourself and others because of your insanity. But only, you know, the truth, or you Mm -hmm. are a small number of people who know the truth. You could think of this as very much like what a game might be like if it an invisible sun game played in the, in the gray itself. During the Kickstarter, a lot of people talked about how they wanted to play a game where you start in the gray. You come to realize that the gray is just part of the uh, actuality. And you you role play your escape from the gray into the uh, the broader actuality. The initial reaction from Monty Cook was, you can do that, but the game's not built to do that. The game right. is built for you to already be a part of the actuality as a Vizlay. Uh and that's because it's, it, it's a very different game to play the escape from the gray um, as the main theme, even for one like arc, than it is to play Vizlay uh, out doing their things in the actuality itself. And I think it might in part be because, as Cult illustrates, playing the escape from the gray is really a horror game. Yeah, I could see that. And that has implications for the, the, you know, the nature of kind of how you play the game, how magic works. Um, and even the relationship between the GM and the players, there's would be negotiated slightly differently in a horror game than in a super powerful magicians game. I think that, um, like having your reality breaking down around you and starting to see the truth might best. Well, one good example of how that might look would be the movie Jacob's ladder. That's a great example. They're, they're read, there's a new version of that coming out, I think, next year. Yeah, I think I heard about that. But the original, I think Adrian Lynn directed. Yeah, I don't recall the director. I just remember Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, right. Um, I, I, I really liked that movie a lot when it came out. Uh, and it, it is a good example of how the horrific implications of reality breaking down around you. Or at least it, then the debate is, is it really breaking down around him or is he just going insane and that's kind of the theme of the of the movie to some extent mm-hmm. uh, but it would be like that which and jacob's letters i think all would agree a horror movie uh cult is trying to replicate that sort of experience yeah though so cult has the second stage of where you realize the, the reality is breaking down around you and develop a capacity to manipulate magic so as to help uh, accelerate the breakdown of that illusion. So there's more agency in cult than there is in Jacob's ladder, where to some extent the protagonist is just observing the world breaking down. Cool. So what can we borrow from cult that you think would work in invisible sun? The setting itself, you might imagine would be uh, fruitful to draw some darker, horrific images from the art is gorgeous. Uh, in fact, got them into a little bit of trouble if I recall correctly, during the Kickstarter, uh, they ended up having to create two covers because the initial cover, which became the Kickstarter exclusive cover, was banned from various publication outlets. Hmm. Uh, nudity and dark imagery, basically. 
So they said, okay, we'll, we'll create an image that's not, at least for the cover, that is does not have those elements. Uh, it still has a little dark imagery, but not so much that it gets banned. Uh, but it definitely has this sort of edgy uh, uh, artistic style that I think would be appealing to a lot of players in Visible Sun. It has for who want to have elements on the horrific side of surreality. Uh, so there, the, thematically, there's a lot to draw from. And we may talk about this in multiple castings because there's a lot that can be drawn. But one thing I want to talk about first is, is somewhat of a, a crunchy element, or at least um, some of the advice it gives for, for developing uh, antagonists, I think is very useful. Um, it's just independent of the setting. You, you could use this approach really in any sort of setting uh, where you have flexibility in designing your antagonists. Cult, the new edition is based upon the Powered by the Apocalypse engine, or the Apocalypse World engine. The, old, the older editions were not, but this one is. Um, so everything in the game is based upon moves. Uh, a move is a term of art from the Apocalypse World engine that uh, you basically are, have a narrative foundation. You just start telling the story and you ask questions that players say what they're doing and those sorts of things. When they say they're doing a particular action, they may trigger a move. So anyone in the game might uh, can just say, oh, well, I'm going to try and intimidate the, uh, the bouncer at the club so I can get in. Anyone can say that, and then you can play it out as a generic sort of action. But some players may have a particular move that might be called like... Um, you know, scare the scare the uh scare them uh you know uh, uh and or whatever it might be that's that's a terrible name uh for a move but uh and it just and, and the trigger for the move is whenever you try to intimidate somebody your character gets to roll a different set of dice and has a guaranteed set of of outcomes that may happen depending on how high they roll I don't want to get into too much of the detail of the Apocalypse World engine, but uh, usually higher is better. <laughs> and you may have, it'll, it'll often say things like, uh, there's three things that can happen. Um, you get to choose two of them. And so the third doesn't happen. So with Intimidate, it might be you get what you want. They don't tell anyone about you intimidating them. And um, uh, you're able to avoid any confrontation with others. Choose two. Okay. So you you can get what you want and avoid uh, the involvement of other people, but they're going to tell somebody else later. Something along those you know something along those lines. And if you get a full success, you might get all three of those. And if you get a partial success, you might say pick one, but the other two are coming after you. Okay, yeah, this is the this, this sounds like fairly standard apocalypse world stuff. Like success yeah. and partial success is baked into the the system, which is really nice. Right. And but they in cult adapt this notion of moves in a mm -hmm. way that is not universal in the powered by the apocalypse slate of games. Okay. They have antagonist moves that are not as detailed as these as player moves are, but they're things that uh, the antagonist can do when they become injured. So every antagonist has uh, a, a count of potential injuries it can absorb. The, the count is actually fairly similar to the counts you might see in Invisible Sun. Mm -hmm. So whereas uh, in our, our antagonists might have some combination of wounds and uh, uh, angst. Is that right? Wounds and angst. That's Wait, anguish. Right. anguish. Sorry. Wounds and anguish. 
I had both the A and the N correct. Yep. I had the G as well. I was very close. Um, they, you know, we might have six boxes of wounds and anguish. And what they suggest you do for significant antagonists, so anyone that's not sort of a mook, um, a character that is intended to just be blown away by the awesome player characters, but are actually standing up and, and challenging the player characters, that you have a list of moves equal to uh, equal in number to the number of, of injuries they can take. For in our cases, it would be wounds and anguish. So that every time the uh, antagonist takes a wound or anguish, uh, you could trigger one of these moves, which is just something that the antagonist does in reaction. This could be good or this could be bad, but it's always noticeable. So you could have a uh, you know a uh, an antagonist that when they take a a wound, um, that wound begins to bleed acidic materials or let's more creative and an invisible sun sense. Uh, it bleeds um, notes of a song mm-hmm. that float out and explode to create sort of a deafening and disorienting effect. Cool. And, but it only triggers when they take an injury. Uh, if you want to be really ambitious in an invisible sun implementation of this, you could actually have different moves that trigger based upon whether something takes a wound or it takes an anguish. Mm-hmm. So bleeding song, no- explosive song notes makes more sense for a wound, but for anguish, um, it, it might be something that is more uh, mental, whether it tri- that whether taking anguish triggers a psionic pulse that causes damage or pushes people back or something along those lines, uh, or it could even be negative for the antagonist that having a, a, a absorbing an anguish, taking an anguish from a, from uh, the efforts of the PCs could result in the uh, the creature uh, losing actions for a round because it is so unsettled by someone being inside its mind. Or it could uh, release an, an idea from inside the, cre- the antagonist's mind into the world itself, which could be good or could be bad, depending mm-hmm. upon what it is that is released. But the, 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 the key idea that I hope to steal, if I can, when I invest the time in building up these antagonists, is uh, for every wound or anguish have some sort of reaction that uh, in some sense rewards the players for what they're, what they've done. It indicates you have affected this creature, but further complicates the encounter. Now that's a, that's a good idea to steal um, because one thing about creatures in invisible sun, if you have powerful enough characters, like creatures get pretty squishy. So any sort of advantage that you can give them is going to be helpful. It reminded me a bit of fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons approach to bloodied where some creatures became more powerful and some became less powerful whenever they got below half their hit points. Mm-hmm. And this is just an expanded version of that. It's every time it takes one of its clicks down its injury and anguish path, it changes and it could change again to be, make it weaker. It could become stronger. It could be, Either you know, it could be both, depending upon, or just more complicated. There is a danger that this intrudes too much on the use of GM shifts because this almost sounds like a GM shift with every injury and anguish. Mm. So I, you don't have to use them on every injury and anguish, and you don't have to have they don't have to be as extreme as GM shifts can be. 
but it's also a way of thinking about like just how does the narrative shift when an injury or anguish occurs or wound or anguish occurs. Another way to think of it is if a character player character does damage to a creature, they should, something should change in the game, in the narrative to reflect that damage. And this is a way to orient your preparation so that you're prepared to say, okay, you have now done damage. Here's how the world is different now, as opposed to you've done damage. Let's see if we can do that again. Mm-hmm. which gets redundant. Um, it's just piling on more damage and piling on more damage. Yep. Ideally, whenever you do significant damage, maybe it's every two injuries or however you want to do it, the game changes or and that's that part of the narrative changes a bit, uh, whether it changes for or against the, the uh, you know, the player character's interest. It depends on how you want to play that, play the game and how you want to design that. But enough changes that... Now players have more that they can use in narrating the encounter and the GM can have more to use in narrating the encounter. So to go back to that example of the exploding musical notes, um, once you have that injury and this this, this entity is bleeding, exploding musical notes, well, now there's a new part of your encounter um, and it can kind of work. Maybe the players can co-opt it and make it work it to their advantage. Maybe it's a new obstacle they have to incorporate in in how they're dealing with this entity. But now they can distinguish between like phase one. This is a big bag of hit points that we're going to to deal damage to. Phase two. Oh, no, (laughs) we have a new complication. We can't use the same strategies we used before or at least or and maybe we have new opportunities than we had before. But it changes the, the set of options the players have as they confront this creature. Uh, as opposed to, again, just making them big bags of hit points, which can get mm-hmm. somewhat boring. No, that's cool. I like this idea. And I'm going to take it. <laughs> this ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha- help people find us. <laughs>